Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Uh, thank you, Pastor Aiden, for the invitation to, <clears throat> to speak here. It's always a privilege to open God's Word, especially in a local church context like this, and to know that we can always find truth in God's Word. Um, uh, this is kind of an aside, but I've never actually heard Pastor Aiden uh, sing, and so I was pleasantly surprised this morning, um, this afternoon, as I heard him. So uh, he's, got a, he's got a nice voice. I don't know why I didn't think he would, but um, yeah, he's got a nice voice. Uh, I'm also glad because I get to fill in for uh, Pastor Aiden so that he can have just a short break this week so that he could recharge for next week. I know there's a lot of stuff going on here, and so perhaps I can give him a little bit of respite for next week, uh, even for a little bit, so that he can continue on strong. And uh, Pastor Aiden and I, we go way back. I had a chance to preach for him when he was in Wisconsin. <clears throat> and at that time, I remember I was coming from another retreat in Indiana, and so I was trying so hard not to sleep. Uh, behind the wheel uh, going up to Wisconsin and uh, uh, they went far up into Wisconsin and so that was hard. This time I'm actually coming from Louisville, Kentucky and uh, Pastor Aiden is now in Minnesota. Um, so I did the saner thing and I flew this time but um, who knows next time maybe I'll be coming from Florida and uh, he'll be in Seattle and so the distance keeps widening. Uh, as Pastor Aiden mentioned, I feel like I know some of you guys just uh, by second degree. Uh, five or six, I think, if I count correctly, of my students have come through Minnesota, and uh, you guys might know them. And uh, let me say this too, whenever I have an out outside uh, speaking engagement like this, my highlight is getting to know you guys. And so if you guys have time afterwards, please just come up to me, say hi, uh, introduce yourself to me. I probably won't remember your name, but still... Uh, it's always nice to do that. That's my highlight, believe it or not. So please do that if you have a chance to do so. Uh, I'm battling a cough as well. I'm not sick, but I have this cough, so you're going to have to forgive me this morning. And lastly, I don't know if this is a responsive crowd, but if I said something like, Amen, would you guys respond and say Amen back to me? Okay, I guess not. All right, let's, let's practice. If I say something like, God is good, Amen? All right. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. All right. I may say amen during a sermon. Don't leave me hanging, okay? Amen? Oh, maybe I won't do it. I'm not, I'm not sure. So today's passage, no real, <clears throat> there's no real rhyme or reason why I chose this passage, except that it's a passage that speaks of grace, and that's a theme that we can always listen to. And so this morning, we will be in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And I want to invite you guys to just stay right there in the text with me. We'll just go over the passage together. I will never have anything better to preach than God's word. And so track with me, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. This is a story of a man who met grace. And this is our story too, if we are found in Christ. And so when you're there, stay there. All right, this is not a responsive crowd. I can see already. Uh, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. It's the second book of the New Testament. All right, here we go. Verse 13. <coughs> he went out again. This is Jesus. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as we passed by, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, 
Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word. So again, uh, I want you guys to track with me, have your Bibles in hand. In today's passage, we begin with Jesus teaching the people, verse 13, which he has been doing up to this point in Mark's gospel. There has been this constant, continual emphasis on teaching. And even though Jesus had done a lot of miracles up to this point, it's important to know he's not just a miracle worker. He has a message and his miracles prove and support his message because witnessing miracles by itself doesn't save. And so, by the way, even today, when people go after sensational or quote-unquote miraculous things only, thinking that's what unlocks spiritual power or something like that, they never get grounded in the faith. I've seen this firsthand. I've seen many people grow up in their adulthood, into their adulthood the last, say, 13, 14 years. And what we need and what, quote-unquote, works is to get grounded in the gospel and biblical truths, not events or something that's hype or lit, as some of you guys might say, or slaps, as some of my students might say today. Um, faith in miracles doesn't save. Faith in Jesus does. Can I get an amen to that? All right, that might be the last time I try that. Anyway, uh, back to the text. Here, Jesus calls this guy named Levi to follow him. Now, before this, Jesus had already called Simon and Andrew to follow him. And in that sense, this is similar, but this is also pretty different, calling this guy Levi. Calling this guy Levi to follow him was scandalous. It was disgraceful, and it was appalling in the eyes of all those around Jesus. And so I want to look at this scandal from three angles. So first, the scandalous individual. The scandalous individual. We have to know something about this guy, Levi, and his profession. If you've been in church long enough, you'll have heard that tax collectors back in Jesus' time were bad. How many of you guys, by show of hands, have heard that? Okay, this is like a fact that we know, right? And it's true, but why? That doesn't sound so bad. It sounds like uh, someone who works for the IRS or any accountants in the room, CPAs. It sounds like, okay, someone is looking guilty. No, you know, it sounds like an accountant or someone who works for the IRS. It doesn't sound, that, it doesn't sound too bad to say tax collector. But during this time, the Jewish people were under Roman rule. It was a heavy rule. And the Romans allowed the Jews to do more or less what they wanted as long as they kept things peaceful. They didn't cause a ruckus. And part of what the Romans allowed the Jews to do was to allow the Jews to take care of their own affairs and their internal structure, again, as long as they didn't cause trouble, as long as they kept it peaceful and the Romans got what they wanted. Part of what that meant was that these tax collectors were allowed to exist and collect taxes on behalf of the Romans. So the tax collectors had the power and the support of Rome behind them. But these tax collectors were also themselves ethnically Jewish. You see the problem? So fellow Jews hated these tax collectors with a passion. Because one, they were collecting money for Rome, which would constantly remind them that they were over, they were under Roman rule. And all the difficulties that they had to deal with because they were under Roman rule. But also, 
these tax collectors were ripping off their own people. They would lie and they would collect more taxes from people and they would pocket the difference. And the people couldn't do anything about it because the tax collectors, they had the power of Rome behind them. So this was extortion, only legally. And it's really hard to bring out how low these people were thought of by their fellow Jews. Uh, maybe if you guys have experience growing up here as an immigrant. Uh, I came to this country when I was nine, and so I can resonate with this. Let's just say if you or your parents have experienced being immigrants, just scraping by, and as your whole immigrant community looked out for one another so that everyone could somehow make it together, you find out that there's a small group of people who are actually taking advantage of the community and ripping off their own people, robbing their own people, the poor people who are trying to make this together. There would be a deep sense of betrayal and hatred towards people who did that. These tax collectors were considered so low that in Jewish culture, in Jewish tradition, it said that a Jew could lie to a tax collector without being punished. Tax collectors are also thought—they're uh, also thought to be in the same category as thieves and murderers. And their testimony in court wasn't valid because they were liars, and Jews were not allowed to receive money and charity from tax collectors because what they had was considered stolen. So a tax collector was, to put it mildly, someone that any self-respecting Jew didn't want to associate with. They were considered morally reprehensible. It's the worst kind of individuals. And so we come to Levi, verse 14. And as he passed by, Jesus, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. Now this booth, this is not a neutral booth as though you're walking on the campus at this august institution that is the University of Minnesota, and you're going through um, the quad. I heard that you guys don't have it. This is like the central area and say there's a career fair or a club fair going on, each with their own booth. It's not a booth like that. This is also not as though uh, you go through an amusement park with different booths set up where you can buy cotton candy, play games, you can shoot a basketball to win that big monkey. Uh, it's not that kind of a booth. This is a tax collector's booth. Uh, maybe to bring this out, I'm, I'm planning to head to Japan for some time in a couple of weeks, in a few weeks. And um, uh, how many of you guys by show of hands have been to Japan before? All right. It's, it's a very interesting place to say the least. In Japan, you frequently come across shops that are, that are very shady. And it's surprising how openly they exist with their very suggestive posters and, and billboards. And you can just casually walk through some of the biggest red light districts in the world in Japan during the day. It's just woven into the fabric of, of their cities there. And uh, they usually have people on the outside promoting the kind of store that they are, and they try to get you into their store, uh, sometimes quite aggressively. And uh, they can be annoying. Last time, two times ago when I was there, there was a guy who followed us for three blocks trying to get us into his store. But anyway, there are a couple of different ways to refer to these places. <clears throat> But the mere mention of these places or the mere sight of seeing these places, it evokes a certain kind of just a visceral reaction in people of being dirty, of being shady, this disreputable. 
and walking a very fine line between legal and illegal. And so there's definitely a stigma associated with such a place and with people who work at such a place. And this, this tax collector's booth would probably be similar, but worse. It would also be combined with this visceral disgust and hatred. So you wouldn't want to be associated with these people. Because if you did, you would be scandalized. But notice, Jesus isn't embarrassed here. Verse 14, And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now right here, this action would have people scratching their heads thinking, why would you do that, Jesus? This is a tax collector. He's scandalous. Why would you do that? We're fishermen. This is a tax collector. And notice, Jesus doesn't just call Levi and, and keep him at a distance as though we can do with uh, Facebook or with Instagram. Uh, we can sort of deal with them when we want, but we don't really have to be close to them. No, that's not the case. In the very next scene we read, verse 15, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And so number two, the scandalous gathering, scandalous gathering. Jesus has real interest in this guy, and so much so that he spends time with him. Jesus is seen eating and hanging out with not just this guy, but his friends who are probably just like him. And so if Jesus was going to be scandalized by one tax collector, now there's a bunch of them, or similar types of people. And a meal gathering like this back then would have meant something. Even today when we say that we had someone over for dinner, or we went to a barbecue with somebody, or we spent time eating good food, it communicates a certain level of closeness, doesn't it? And openness, and identification. And this was stronger back in Jesus' day. And uh, just to make the point again about how tax collectors are perceived back then, notice how they're lumped together with sinners. So look at verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus. This is how they were perceived. They're always together, tax collectors and sinners. is one and the same. And so let's just pause here and ask, who would you not want to be seen with? In your case, who would you not want to be seen with? We have times when we want certain people to be hanging out with us, and we want to be seen hanging out with them, and we have times when we don't want to hang out with certain people or be seen with them. You know, we all know this, right? Even growing up, even in junior high and high school, in college, or even into older adulthood, we see this too, the importance of associating with the right people. If you're trying to move up in the world, this becomes especially important. If you want to be seen highly socially, same thing. And this is because we are often judged by the company that we keep. Years after the fact, we still talk about the infamous lunch table and who we sat with or who we didn't sit with. Who went to the dance in what group? Believe it or not, even 10, 20 years down the line, you guys will still be talking about this. Who was invited to what party or event? Who dated who back in the day? Our reputation is often based on who we know and spend time with and associate with. 
And this is how conversations often get started. Oh, do you know so-and-so? So notice what seems to be at risk for Jesus, his reputation. Because when he's hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners, sure enough, the religious leaders, look, verse 16, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So it seems like Jesus puts his worldly reputation on the line here for Levi and his friends. But it doesn't seem like Jesus saw it that way. Because Jesus is clearly and he's intentionally reaching out and spending time with these people. You can't miss it. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's clearly uh, intentional on Jesus' part to spend time with these people. And so number three, the scandal of grace. The scandal of grace. Verse 17, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. If you read through Mark's gospel, it becomes more and more clear that Jesus and the religious leaders, they have fundamentally different ways of looking at things. For the religious leaders, again, these are not just leaders, these are religious leaders. In order for someone to come to, uh, to, to become a better person, they need to study the law, they need to follow the law. There are many, many rules to be followed. It's clearly laid out there. People need to distance, the, <clears throat> distance themselves from things that will make them unclean, like these tax collectors. And they need to continue to keep these religious rules to keep themselves clean and stay clean. And we see similar ways of approaching God today. On the other hand, Jesus, he comes into the world that is contaminated by sin, the pure and holy one of God, because he was the only solution for removing the stain of sin that would lead to hell by taking that stain on himself. And he says, those who are well have no need of a doctor, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Uh, Jesus here is not saying that there are these righteous people in the world and they don't need forgiveness, but sinners do. No, everybody is sick. Jesus is making the point that for those who are sick and for those who know that they're sick, they can at least see that they're sick. And in God's plan and because of his power, they can come to understand the good news and be forgiven and be saved. And this makes sense. How many of you guys have spent some time in the hospital? Let me just see by show of hands. Maybe over three days without being in the hospital. Oh, this is a sick crowd. Okay, I'm just kidding. Uh, I was there too, uh, many a days. People who are in the hospital usually know that they're sick and they tend to listen better because they have to. If the situation is bad enough, they have no choice but to have to listen to the medical professionals if they want to live. They have no choice. They listen better. So when Jesus, the great healer of our souls, our own maker, God himself, says he came to call us the sick to himself. We have to listen to what he says about our sinful condition and how sick we are. But the problem is, of course, is that not many realize that, that they're sick, <clears throat> especially those who have grown up religiously or 
Uh, their lives look more intact than other people's because they can always find someone who's following less rules than they are. And, you know, this being a church community, I think we can, I think we can really help each other in this regard. Uh, sometimes the illustration is used, is this place, is this gathering, is this church a hospital or a museum? Is this a hospital or a museum? In a museum, there are uh, displays and things um, that are adorned so that it looks very nice and presentable. Uh, there are exhibits that dazzle people and make a lasting impression, Picassos and Rembrandts on the wall. So when the church is a museum, we find people comparing one another by the standards of this world, by money and jobs and degrees and scores and possessions. But in a hospital setting, there aren't displays that look nice. Instead, there are alarming signs like emergency, all caps. I think there's a hospital like right here, isn't there? Intensive care unit, oncology. It's not a happy place to be. You know, we take field trips to the museums, not the hospital. But at the hospital, the guiding principle is to save and to restore people. When the people of God provide a hospital setting, people can talk and deal with their problems honestly, openly, and by God's grace, grow deeper in the faith, and even come to saving faith for the first time and finding a Savior in Jesus Christ. In a hospital, this would be bad if this happened, in a hospital, patients don't walk around and visit other patients and tell them, hey, you're sick. You know, do as I say. You have to follow these rules I'm going to give you. We don't do that because you're sick too. Everyone is sick. And there's, only, <clears throat> there's only one good doctor, and he is all of our doctor in Christ. Can I get an amen to that? Amen? Oh, that's good. I'm going to keep doing it. When the grace of God in Christ takes hold in our lives, God heals us, and we become, in turn, gracious towards others. And we get to see that we're messed up and we look to the cross, um, not some small accolades or rule keeping that we constantly fail to live up to. We simply look to the cross because we have nothing to bargain with. We can't save ourselves. You know, I hope that as a church that you would find more and more freedom in knowing that you are a very, very, very misfit sinner, but that Christ is a very, very capable Savior. And you need only to look to Christ and not to your performance. You know, I'm sure that in a group this size, and uh, including myself here, I'm sure that in a group this size, we have done things that we regret, things that we would, ne <clears throat> things that we would never tell people about, things that we just cannot take back. No amount of trying to make up for it will erase the guilt and the regret that has been carved onto our hearts. You know, Levi's story is, is not a story of someone who saved himself. We don't tell someone in the hospital, get better. They can't. That's why they're there in the first place. No, this is a story of someone who was considered despicable by all those around him. Someone who <clears throat> clean. Upright people did not want to associate with. 
but who met grace one day, who reached out to him and his friends, and by that grace he was saved, not having a righteousness that comes from the law, but that comes through faith in Christ. We see more clearly the nature of faith through this man. And so let me start to bring this to a close. What can we learn from this encounter? What do we learn here? A number of things, including uh, God's merciful heart towards his fallen creatures, us, his willingness to take us back at the cost of his one and only son. We see God's commitment to save sinners. But let me highlight three more, and they all relate to each other. So first, God's mission, what he's doing in this world, is not thrown off by sketchy individuals or their past. In fact, part of God's mission was to send his son into the world to save people like that which includes every single one of us. And so the question is, do we know that we're sick with sin? Do we know that Jesus came to save not someone else, but us? We see in Jesus' call to Levi that we don't have to try and cover up our sins before we come to him. We can't cover our sins. That's why Christ came to cover us. We can freely bring ourselves to Christ where uh, exactly where we are because his blood covers our sins. So if you haven't yet, this may be kind of uh, too elementary for you guys, but if you haven't yet, please turn to Christ. Please turn to Christ in a genuine saving way. He came to rescue you because you can't rescue yourself. Don't be someone who attends church on and off for decades, but never trusts in Jesus Christ. I've seen this. It's super sad. Every moment is precious. Just come to Christ now and today. Jesus saves the seemingly worst of people like Levi. And he also saves the best of people like Nicodemus. We're all sinners in need of God's grace. The God of heaven made himself a scandal on the cross. So there's nothing so scandalous, nothing so hideous that you've done that God can't save you from in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? His sacrifice for you is, is more than enough to cover your sins. And so you can come as you are to Christ today. You don't have to wait until you follow some rules and get a little clean. Just go to Jesus. Jesus will cleanse you. And then, number two, for those who have come to experience this grace, if you find yourself in Christ, if you're a Christian we in turn tell others about this God of heaven who became scandalized to give us life. So as we remember what Christ did for us, we share that same gospel with others. And we don't have to be afraid of sharing the gospel with scandalous individuals because our identity has been sealed by the cross. We are sons and daughters of the king. And by the way, after all, at heart, we're not all that different than Levi. He did on the outside maybe things that we haven't done, but every single one of us, given the right opportunity, we can do exactly as he did. We're all in the same boat here. So as children of God, whose identity is secure and hidden with Christ, we don't fear. We share the gospel with even scandalous individuals, just like ourselves. And if you think about it, don't these two work together? I don't know if you have opportunities to share the gospel. I really do. I, I, I hope you do. 
Christians find that as they share with other Christians about their weaknesses and failures and how God still came through and provided strength, we find ourselves becoming stronger, not weaker, when we share those stories with others. We become more emboldened to live out our life of discipleship as we share the gospel with others. In other words, the more we realize what we are saved from, the more we're filled with thanksgiving to God and want to live for God and share the good news with others. In, um, in two weeks, I, I stepped down from being, um, being a pastor at my post. Um, you know, one of the things that has allowed me to share the gospel with my students and, and, and connect with them, and with others for that matter, is, um, is the fact that I wasn't a Christian for the first 24 years of my life. And that actually helps me see them from their perspective. A teenager, or anyone else for that matter, is not going to have their hearts changed because they follow some rules. There's no way. We need to be changed in the inner core of who we are. So remember who we were, and remember who we are now, and share the gospel. And uh, by the way, as you share the gospel, it's often... Uh, it's not going to be the, the popular thing. It was unpopular for Jesus to call Levi into his fold. He got a lot of, a lot of hate from these religious leaders. And standing for Christ is not going to get you invited to more parties in this lifetime. Although, ironically, Jesus did get invited to a party in this passage. Um, but if Jesus based his ministry on being popular in the eyes of the world, we would have no gospel. And so you guys know this, being on a college campus... In today's time, when it's so volatile to say anything about absolute truth and to call out sin, and um, in, a, in a context like that, uh, pray for the courage to tell others about the hope that we have in Christ. And of course, if you want to do this in love and with wisdom and with respect and care, what's interesting is that however way Jesus talked to Levi, Levi was fine with having all his friends meet Jesus. He felt comfortable enough. Something about Jesus and what he said to Levi, how he made him feel, made him want to invite his friends to talk to Jesus. Uh, today, it's really difficult to bring people even to church or to share the gospel with them. But with wisdom and Christ-filled love, we still strive to do so. And as we do that, number three, we must remember the nature of grace. We must remember the nature of grace. Levi was not brought into Jesus' circle because he was a good, church-going individual. No, Jesus grabbed a hold of his life, and Levi's life was changed. Levi also comes down to us as Matthew, or in other Christian circles, St. Matthew. We have the first gospel through this man. We learn the Great Commission through Levi, a scandalous individual to whom Jesus reached out in love and saved. In Matthew, especially in the Beatitudes, we have characteristics of someone who has entered into life with Christ. Now, all of this was due to God's grace in Levi's life. Remember who we are because of Jesus Christ. We didn't do anything on our own to save ourselves. Christ became the scandal. And he endured sin for us so that we can be cleansed from our sins. Listen, we're not Christians because we attend church, right? 
Just because you've attended church or come, uh, came to Sunday service this morning or the last Sunday service or the last month or years, years worth of Sunday services and small group and all of that, that's not what makes us Christian. No, we're Christian because Jesus changed our scandalous, heart, scandalous hearts first to want him and to live for him. And that's why we take the name of our Savior and stand for him as students and his working folk and his family members and the rest. If you're in Christ, you're in Christ only by the grace of God. And if you're still walking with the Lord this very day, you haven't fallen away, that's God's grace in your life to sustain you and to keep you going. So would you be used by God to reach people who are just like us and Levi, who are very messy and need a savior? And as we do that, we'll be reminded of the amazing gift of grace that God has given to us. And we're not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God salvation to everyone who believes and so with that let me pray for us and um, we'll close with the song here father in heaven we thank you for the cross we thank you for coming down becoming so low as to become one of us and paying the price that saves us from our sins and into all of eternity God, we ask that you would cause us to never forget, but only grow each day in understanding your amazing grace and cause us to live in light of it, making disciples of all those around us and sharing and teaching as many as will listen to us about your amazing grace, that they too might find life. We thank you for the price you pay, Lord Jesus. We can never repay you. We praise you for the sacrifice on our behalf. And God, for this congregation, would you give them hope? Would you fill them with your love? Would you uh, give them resolve for the days ahead? Now, Lord, we know that things are just getting harder in so many different ways with this culture and um, just a lot of things interpersonally and even within our own lives. God, would you fix their eyes on you and who you say they are? And would you have them lean on you for everything that they need? Would you encourage their hearts this morning and by your grace, keep them going and remind them of your grace and who you are each and every single day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll respond to the word with a song. And um, you know, this song, Amazing Grace, is originally a hymn. It's written by... Uh, John Newton, who used to be a slave trader and became Christian and, you know, forsook his uh, way of life. And I think it re really relates to the story of Levi, uh, who was a tax collector, uh, who was, dis you know, despised by people. So maybe we sing this song together, having perhaps relating to um, these people, um, seeing ourselves as in need of God's grace. So respond with the song together. Uh, spend some time in prayer together. Um, the word that we just heard uh, is a gospel. And you know, we can never graduate from the gospel, but it's the very power of God that sustains us, that we need to come back to 
day after day, week after week, season after season. And I love uh, what uh, Pastor Sage said about what church is. Um, it is hospital. It is not a museum. And I know myself, um, you know, I could be, um, you know, try to look nice um, you know, by doing certain things or saying certain things. Um, but all of that um, are really not reflective of perhaps, you know, my sins, my shortcomings um, as a pastor, as a Christian, as a human being. And I am in need of the doctor. Um, and may we just come before God as we are. Um, we've been just trying so hard to look certain way whether it's through our learning education um, even the way we dress at times the way we talk to people the way we um, associate with certain people at our jobs or etc but maybe we got to just take all the scars down and come before him who is so willing to associate with us no matter how dirty we may be. He doesn't care about his reputation, but he reaches out. He loves us. So could we do that? Just enjoying his grace and just coming before him to be restored and healed. Um, and let's do, let's do that. Let's spend some time doing that and I'll close for us after. Let's pray. God, we're here before you as broken people and thank you that we can be ourselves we don't have to stress out before you trying to be a certain way or be someone that we are not thank you that your embrace is that of a cosmic one embracing us and may this grace of yours change our hearts towards one another and towards the world too so that we also can have the embrace of grace towards others and tell each other and tell the world of this grace that saves sinners. So Lord, work in our hearts right now, God. Um, wherever we are coming from, what kind of brokenness that we are carrying and presenting before you, may you restore our hearts. Bring us back to you. Help us to live in freedom. For some of us, for the first time, or for others of us, hundreds of time. But thank you that we can do this. Listen to your word and be brought back to your gospel and your grace, God. Make our church a hospital that glorifies you where everyone feels safe about our struggles and may we all become healing agents to one another through the gospel. Thank you, Lord.